Good to be here again this morning. I want to speak for a little while about, well, first of all, um, enjoy, really enjoying the study in the book of James. And I uh, feel like the Lord has directed me elsewhere this morning. And looking forward to getting back to James. But when I began studying this passage, um, I realized that it's where God has me. It's what I needed. And um, I hope that it will mean that much to you this morning. <clears throat> but I want to talk a little while about find your treasure, find your heart, from Matthew chapter number 6. Find your treasure, find your heart. <clears throat> so this chapter is warning us against hypocrisy the context of the entire chapter there. As believers, we are to be real, sincere, earnest, genuine, which also means that our lives should be lived with meaning, with intent, with purpose, with integrity and devotion. Consistently, meaning on, on a daily basis, we're not to worry or fret or be anxious about the things that are happening or what may happen next. But we're to live with grace and patience and contentment. We're to suffer with grace and patience and contentment. And we're to die the same way. So as a, as a foundation for this, I actually want to begin reading uh, from Romans chapter number 6. <clears throat> As a foundation for what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6, I want to look to see what God inspired Paul to write in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse number 11. I would like to read the whole chapter, but for sake of time, we'll begin in verse number 11. <clears throat> Likewise, reckon yourselves. <coughs> Reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness Unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, you're under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your servants, uh, yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sins, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you've yielded your members, your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit 
Had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what has happened in our hearts. That's the faith that we're talking about in the book of James. That's what God has done for us. So this, this whole chapter in, in Romans um, is comparisons, but better yet, contrasting what we were and what we have become. So with this in mind, as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we read from what Matthew has to say, we remember that context of Romans and what God has set us free from and called us to. As, as Jesus is pointing out here, warning against hypocrisies, instructing us to serve God for one purpose. What is that one purpose? Why were we created? To glorify him alone. Not to lift ourselves up or to get gain or do as the world does or worry about things or circumstances or happening and tomorrow. But to focus our attention on Christ and him alone. Let's begin reading from Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. And if, that, if therefore that light is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What shall you eat? Or what shall you drink? Nor yet for your body. What, what shall you put on? Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they toll not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God has so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is just cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. 
For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We gather here for one purpose and one purpose alone. To worship you. To be in your presence. To be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would do this, do that for me. Do that for each and every individual here this morning. Draw your children closer to you. And Lord, if there be one that is yours that is lost in our midst, may the Spirit of God open their hearts and understandings this day. that They may see you high and lifted up. Lord, help us to be sensitive to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So briefly, there are six questions that I'd like to ask you to think about from this passage this morning. Number one, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Looking back to verse number 19 there, we're warned not to lay up treasures on the earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. And verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And obviously that's the verse that we drew the title for this from. Find your treasure, find your heart. We're not going to know where our heart is until we know where our treasures lie. So in order to know where our treasure is, uh, or where our treasure is, we first must determine what is my treasure. What is your treasure this morning? Before you can know where it lies, you must know what it is. What is your focus in life? What is the deepest desires of your heart? You must make it applicable to yourself this morning. As Christ, as these words were written many years ago, they are 100% applicable to me as at any moment in time that I read them and to you as well. So what is your treasure? What do you spend your time and efforts on? Once that's determined, we must realize that there are only two places that we can store treasure. Straight from the scripture here. That is on earth or in heaven. The Bible tells us here that on earth there's moth and rust and and, and thieves Where there's great treasures or riches, there will always be thieves to try to steal it away. Moths are there to to deteriorate materials like cancer is to our bodies. And so is rust to metals. You you can hardly stop rust from eating away the metals. And so is treasures here on earth. You know, we can, we can work our life away to make money, to save treasure, but in just a moment, it can all be taken away. Thieves can be in, in various forms. I mean, 
Thieves can come as fraudulent mortgages and foreclosures, crooked lawyers and doctors, fraudulent insurance claims. There can even be thieves that are looking to steal your joy straight from your heart by negative influences and immoral people, people without principles or spiritual witness in their life. So beware of storing the treasures of your internal peace and joy to their confidence or to their influence on your life. May the Lord help us to guard ourselves, parents to guard our children, and children learn to develop the sensitivity to the Spirit of God and the Word of God to guard yourselves from that type of influence. Be careful how you share your com- the, the confidence of the joy and peace that God has put within you to the influence of others in your life. Well, as far as storing treasures in heaven, who's going to break in? Can anyone burn it down? There, there are no tears or sorrow found there. The banks here on earth, they can insure your money. But that's only, they can only insure to replace it to a certain amount. They, they cannot insure against it being taken. They can replace, but in heaven, your treasures cannot be taken away. And then as we come to verse 21, as we said, we derived the title, Find Your Treasure, Find Your Heart. Where is your treasure this morning? So may the Lord, um, may the Lord search our heart to find, to determine where our treasures are. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? What do, you, what do you spend your efforts on? That will lead us to where our treasure is. We can work in this life, we can work our fingers to the bone and never be able to gain our own heart's content if we don't understand the principles of God's word and what Christ is saying to us here in this sermon preached by Jesus Christ himself. Do we really know where our treasures are. As I studied through these verses, even my own heart was brought under conviction and um, the microscope, so to speak, to evaluate where my treasures truly lie. May the Lord help you this morning. May we say with the psalmist, search my heart, O God, and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. The second question, is your eye single? Verse 22 says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore that light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Don't want to spend a whole lot of time on just these two verses because they, this question actually leads us straight to the third question that Jesus goes to in verse 24. But you've heard it said before, the eyes are the windows of the soul. The eyes 
are the windows of the soul. So what is seen through those windows in your life? The world wants to tell you that there are many options. There's many ways to make it. In fact, any way is just fine. But according to the scripture, not so. Jesus said, broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way to eternal life. And there's only one way to get there. And that way is through Jesus Christ himself. And here he is saying from, from these verses that there is either light in you or darkness. That's, that's it. There's, there's light or darkness. There's not many other options. There's not many other ways. If there is light in you, then let it shine. So what is, what is the opposite of single? Well, you could say double or multiple. But how can this be spiritually? How can we have double vision or multiple viewpoints beyond Jesus being the only way and his word and his will for our lives? It can't be for a follower of Christ. Anything but a single eye is evil, as he says here, and this is darkness. So this leads us to the third question. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? No man can serve. No, no person can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. In light of the, the, the verses that we... Uh, the two verses prior. And the question is your eye single. Who do you serve? Serving two masters is contrary to the single eye. And the word mammon here, by the way, is, is simply gain, is, is the best simple way to, to summarize what the, the meaning of the word mammon is, is, is gain. Um, a, an example could be money, um, but gain in any way is what's referred to here. You cannot serve God and personal gain. So whatever is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things would lead us toward gain, toward mammon. I borrowed, I borrowed this um, and thought about changing the word mammon to gain, but um, decided to just quote it just as it was written. But God says, my son, give me the heart. Mammon says, no, give it to me. God says, be content with such things as you have. Mammon says, grasp all that you can and keep it. Such as money. By, fair, by, by, by means that are fair or foul. God says, defraud not, never lie, be honest and just in all thy dealings. Mammon says, cheat your own father if you have to for gain. God says, be charitable. Mammon says, hold your own. This giving undoes all. God says, be careful for nothing. Mammon says, be careful for everything. God says, keep holy the Sabbath day. Mammon says, make use of that day as well as any other for the world. So may our minds and hearts be set 
on, on God, on his will for our lives, on what his word says. May our focus be on serving him and loving him and delighting in the peace and contentment that only can come from Jesus Christ and from giving up everything that is connected to this world, to the will of God for our lives. Question number four. What worries you? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for the body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? He mentions some of the most basic things in life here. Just what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to put on. Have we trusted him for the portion of our inheritance at the end? And shall we not trust him for the portion of our cup, so to speak, in the way to the end? In other words... You've trusted God for eternity. In salvation, we put our trust and faith in him for all eternity. Think about that. Yet we wake up in the morning, and what do we worry about? What is our concern? And from day to day, if we can trust our loving Father for all eternity, can we not trust him for the simplest things in life, such as what we're going to eat today, what we're going to drink, the clothes that we put on, the things that every one of us do every single day and many times take for granted. The portion of our cup, as, as we said there, Christ, his portion was suffering, was pain, was death on the cross. Are we any better than our Lord? That is the critical part of that question. What does God have for me? What does God have for you? What is the design that he has for us as individuals? Because the design that he has for me is going to be different than the design that he has for you. And the design that he has for you is going to be different than your neighbor and your friend and your family member. Whatever, God, whatever cup God has designed for you, May we say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. No matter what uh, uh, oppression, no matter what um, burdens the li that life brings us, God is there. The Holy Spirit is there to help carry, to carry that burden for us, to cast our cares upon him. He's going to provide. He's going to make provision Do you worry more about what sustains your life than what your life provides toward glorifying God? Do, do not, does not our very existence speak of God and Him being all-powerful and in total control and sovereign? Think about it. Our very existence is because of His greatness, because of His glory, because of his power, all, all power, and his sovereignty. 
Is, is he not going to take care of whatever our needs may be? If he can feed the birds, uh, even in the worst of weather and seasons, can he not provide for you? I, I love to, to look out at God's creation, everything that he's made, and I, I can't absorb enough from the wonderment of God's creation. But specific to the birds, you know, think about it. No matter where you go, what is the most common animal that you see? I could be wrong about this, but what popped into mind as reading through this is birds. They're everywhere. You hardly go anywhere without seeing some type of bird. I mean, and there's tiny little birds, and there's large birds. There's, there's birds that's scary looking, and I wouldn't want one swooping down at me in the dark. Um, there's, there's birds that eat little seeds, and there's birds that prey on other animals. There's all kinds of birds. And these birds, they don't, you, you look at the ant, and you look at the bee, and how hard they work. And God has designed them, and he's pointed us from his word to those cre creations as well for the purpose of learning what hard work is, for the purpose of planning for the future, for, for the purpose of putting up. But right now, he points us to the birds. They don't, they don't put up in the barns. They don't store up for tomorrow. They just go about their business, whatever that is. They fly along their merry way. And yet, in the worst of weather, I mean, even, even in the snow, which we don't get much of that around here, but God still provides for them. I mean, up north, they get lots of snow. You go far enough north, there'll be snow most of the time. I mean... But yet, the birds always find what they need. Why? Well, the scripture tells right here, because our heavenly, our heavenly Father, their creator, but our heavenly Father feeds them. I mean, I don't think the animals claim God is their heavenly Father. Best I can tell from scripture, he's their creator. And I know that they rejoice in him. I believe we have indication of that. But we are God's chosen. We are God's children. What father is not going to provide for his children the things that they need? Our heavenly father is going to take care of us and make provision. Just as he does even for the little birds and all of his creation. We read a little further and he says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubic to his stature? Can, can anyone here this morning add anything? To the, there's, a, there's a lot of young men that would love to add a little height to them, probably older men too. I mean, in this, in this day and time, it seems even that the girls want to grow tall. Whatever. But... None of us can do anything about our height. I mean, you can't add a fraction. You can put on heels or a pair of boots if that makes you feel any better, but you can't make yourself taller. <clears throat> we can't provide for ourselves. We can't keep our heart beating. We can't keep our lungs working or anything else about our body at any age, but... <clears throat> I mean, 
God hardly has to give it any thought. He does. But it's nothing to him. I personally am in the beginning stages of losing some eyesight and hair thinning. But not a thing I can do about it. So why am I going to worry about it? I mean, these are more aggravating than they are embarrassing. Uh, but I need them now. And someday I probably need some hearing help like some others do. It is what it is. But God cares. And God knows. And even when the hair does start to thinning, start to thinning, I mean, he knows everything. He knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. Every one of us in this room, every person in the world. We are God's creation. He's going to take care of us. We are chosen. So I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to worry about it. God can do something about that. I can't feed the birds, but he can, and he does. So what about the grass and the flowers? We read on. He says, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I mean, if you, if, if you know anything about the scripture, even you children, you know that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And you read and you see how his wisdom led to great riches. I mean, untold riches of his day and time. What, I think it was one of the queens of that day traveled from very, very far away because she had heard all the tales about Solomon. And she... She believed it, but she's like, I've got to go see this. No one's ever e even heard of this before. She traveled from very far away, which in this day and time, that might not be as hard to do. In that day and time, it was extremely difficult. If you read the, the passage about that trip, I mean, there was a lot of details, a lot of planning, a lot of people that went into her trip just to go and say, and she told Solomon, I've heard about everything. And as grand as that sounded, she said, no, nothing I've heard even came close to what I'm beholding now. She was so amazed. So, sorry, I had to say a little bit about Solomon to help you understand, your children, why Jesus said that about Solomon at this point of his sermon. So, in that mind, who is the celebrity today that you think is so great, so grand, got so much? Because that's what Jesus was trying to do. Um, or or not, even, not even a celebrity. What, what about a, a friend of yours or another minister of the gospel or another Christian that seems like they've got it all together and God has so blessed them and they're so arrayed. Well, 
Christian or non-Christian, if there's any blessing to be had, it comes from God above, alone. So that God, my God, your God, if you claim him as your savior, he's the one who provided for Solomon. He's the one who provides for the birds. He's the one who provides for the people you know and provides for you and for me. That's my God. That's your God. So the lilies of the field, the flowers, the grass. Even Solomon wasn't arrayed like this. All the work and effort and toil and spinning. For what? For what? To get something, to gain something else, another dollar, another moment in time, another experience, another adventure. And all of those things are fine and good. There's It's only where our heart lies that can cause some of those things to become corrupt or corrupt to us or corrupt us. Where is your heart in this light? God creates all that beauty and then just sticks it in the oven. <laughs> the oven is the sun. Think about it. The grass. I mean, every summer, especially in Georgia... It's rare that we have a summer where the grass doesn't turn brown. I mean, I remember you can go out in the middle of summer sometimes when you haven't had rain and you literally hear the, the crunching and crackling of the grass under your feet. It is that. He stuck it into the oven. I mean, in the spring, it's beautiful and green and the flowers grow. And we see all the grand glory. And then come summer, it's just burn up. Why? I don't know. God chose to do it that way. He's God. He's holy. He's perfect. He does, the, he does what he wills, when he wills. And then come fall th things, the, the beauty of the leaves and the colors. And then the, the, the winter and things look, look bleak and drab, drab sometimes. But only from a physical standpoint. Because to the Christian and to the light and to the joy and the peace that he provides within us, we open our eyes and we see again his beauty and the grandeur of his, of his creation. I saw, I saw a picture uh, that was shared recently from where my brother is up in West Virginia. And that, um, I forget the name of the bridge, but there's a national monument, monumental bridge. It's been there for a long time. And when it was built, it was the largest in the world for a very, very long time. But anyway, that, that picture, I just recently saw it. I think it was a picture from this, this winter, just recently. Um, and the mountains around it, because that, that bridge spans a huge gorge, just, just a massive gorge. And it's really long. The bridge itself is amazing. <clears throat> but, and man built that bridge, but only because God allowed him to. But that's important part of what I'm trying to say is this particular picture. The bridge stood out as almost black in this picture because the mountains, the, the gorge, the ravines, and the, the mountains all around it completely covered in white. Thick, floppy, white snow piled up deep on the trees. You, that just amazing. God, my God, your God. The one that feeds the birds, the ones, the, the one 
who gives us food every day. And that children, that's why we bow our heads in prayer before we eat, to thank God for that provision. He's created all this. It's nothing to him. It's not difficult. Though he throws the grass into the oven every summer in our, in our region, he will not throw you into the oven. He will not. Don't have such little faith. He's already planned. He has a way, a plan for our provision, even if you can't see it yet. It may be that it's just not time to reveal his plan to you. Or maybe that our perspective and attitude is just blinding us like Balaam's did when he was angry with his donkey because he couldn't see the angel of God standing there, but the donkey did. I mean, I've always laughed and said, thought, who's the fool? But I asked myself that question, who's the fool? Again, children, if you haven't heard that story or don't remember the details, go back and read it. It's pretty funny, actually. But not funny. Because we're talking about God. <clears throat> but Balaam was angry with his donkey because he kept veering away and at some one point crushed his ankle into the, into the rock. And he's just angry with his donkey. And by the way, children... If, again, if you don't remember the story, the donkey talked to Balaam at that point. God allowed the donkey to talk to Balaam. And he said, why, why, are you, why are you striking me? Why are you hitting me? And of course, then God opened his eyes and he saw an angel with a flaming sword. <clears throat> That's not the intent of the message this morning. But yes, go, go read the story. The point is our perspective, our attitude. You know, it, it might just be that it's not God's plan yet to reveal to us. It's not his will yet to reveal to us yet what his plan is going to be. We don't need to be worried about that. So it may just simply be that the time is not right yet. But it could also be, and this is why we should search our hearts and ask God to search our hearts, that like Balaam, what is our perspective? What is our attitude? Are we on the right track? Ask God every day, Lord, help me to see and know what is your will for my life. So don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or put on. But notice Jesus, as we've said already, mentions here some of the most basic things in life. If we do nothing else, we do at least these three things. And yet... He's warning us about getting wrapped up and fearful and worried about the simplest or the silliest of things. Don't miss that if God is taking care of these basic needs, he'll do the same for all of our deepest, greatest, most major concerns in our lives. And those major concerns in our life will become nothing at all. They simply don't matter when we can cast all of our cares upon him and know that he cares for us and trust all of these things to him. 
What do we fear losing or not gaining it? Why do we fear losing it or not gaining it? The answer to these two questions will reveal where our treasure lies. So I want to repeat that. What do we fear losing or not gaining? And why do we fear losing or not gaining it? The answer to these two questions will reveal where our treasure lies. The world we live in is, is consumed with, with what and how much we can gain and then drive themselves mad just trying to get it and then trying to keep it as if it's not hard enough to get it. I mean, just try keeping it for a little while. Going back to some of the things that we mentioned earlier, that there's many things in life that, that will just take away whatever we've worked so hard to get. You can't keep it. You can't hold it. You can't secure it. But God can keep me and keep you and hold you and secure you and give you peace and joy no matter what. The fifth question, what are you searching for? Before we go to that, uh, verse 32. Um, for all these things do the Gentiles seek. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. He knows what we have need of. Parents, he knows the needs that we have concerning our children. Fathers, he knows the needs that we have concerning uh, providing for our family and life's duty to do that. He knows all these things and he's going to provide for us. So the fifth question, what are you searching for? Verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we were but more careful to please God and not, not to work out our own salvation, we should be less desiring to please ourselves and trying to work out what we can gain in this world. We should be more careful to please God. Thoughtfulness for our souls should be the, uh, will be the most effectual cure for thoughtfulness for the world. In Colossians chapter 3, the Bible tells us, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Our affections, our desires, our goals, our efforts should be to please Him and should be on things above. We shouldn't be bound down and servants to things here on this earth. Every day that we wake up, every fiber of our being should be searching for God 
Search my heart, O God, and try me. Know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. If we seek God first and solely, then he will provide everything and all, everything that we need and all that is good for us. So what else matters? The last question, number six, is today not enough? Is today not enough? Verse 34 says, Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Who knows? Who knows what tomorrow holds? I don't, I don't know what the rest of today holds. You know, ev- everyone here this morning that's old enough to remember what happened on September 11, 9-11, knows exactly where they were and what they were doing on that day when they heard the news about 9-11. Every last one of us that were alive and old enough, enough, we know exactly where we were and what we were doing when we heard that news. But nobody knew that was coming. You didn't know it. I didn't know it. Most of the world didn't know it. But you know who did know it? God knew it. God knew it. He knows what the rest of today holds and tomorrow and, and thereafter. We're, we're, not, we're not guaranteed another day. We're not guaranteed for our heart to beat again or to take another breath. But God knows all these things. I'm glad we don't know. What if you knew we wouldn't, I, we wouldn't be able to bear it. You couldn't bear it. <clears throat> That's what he meant here when he said, uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. It's a good thing we can't see the future. <clears throat> we wouldn't be able to bear it. But God provides strength and grace when we need it. The trials that we face, they make us stronger and purer. And they draw us closer to him. We don't have any reason to worry or fret about what tomorrow holds. That's only going to distract us from what our responsibilities are right now and those who need us today. Do you know someone who's suffering? Well, they need you in the right frame of mind. They need you to help them. God's designed us to help and pray for one another. You being anxious or worried or stressed and all worked up, that's that's not going to help. It's not going to help you, much less them. May God help us to be calm, to be patient, to be trusting, to be believing. I wanted to close with reading Psalm chapter 90, but our time is up. So if later today you want to read Psalm chapter 90, that would be a a good closing. But may the Lord help us to trust in Him and leave all our cares to Him to not... Be hypocritical Christians 
by saying that we believe one thing, saying what, that our eyes are on God, but then living another life where we are consumed with what this world has to offer and what we can gain or what we're afraid of because we can't or don't know how to provide for ourselves. May the Lord help us and may we rejoice in his grace and his sufficiency. If there's someone here this morning that doesn't know this Savior and this kind of peace, you can know it. You can know it.